Bum, 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 bum. Podcastration, greatest podcast in the world. All other podcast hosts, hosts are little girls. Podcastration number one exporter of dumb crappium. All other podcast inferior with crappium. Podcastration home of giant giant squid squid swim thirty meter whisper to the leader. Graduation rates are a marvel to behold. Essential skills to impress a date. Podcastration, you very nice show. From Paul Schultz to Ginger Levon Bryan. Podcastration, friend of all except Brett Bowser. He is just an asshole with with a bone for a brain. Podcastration products best in the world. We invented studs and TV screen protectors. Podcastration, Kendall's cleanest in the region. Except, of course, for Catanis. Podcastration, you are very, very nice show. From Paul Schultz to Ginger Levon Ryan. Congrats, the mighty penis of our leaders. From junction <laughs> with the testes to the tip of its face. All right, we got through it. Of Salesman. Welcome to another episode of Podcastration. We are in the depths of quarantine. It blows. This is the most bored I've ever been. Uh, I've also started a new job. I'm now a, a nurse at the Pittsburgh jail. So I've been working shifts, and I'd never had to work shifts before. And I have no concept of when, like, time is. I have, well, I have, no, I have no concept of, like, when bedtime is. I feel like I feel like right now is bedtime, but I just got to work through it, and I'm going to get, like, I want to get my second wind. I just was really hoping it would... I would have gone it by now. But that's unimportant. What is important is that we have some mailbag question and answer time. A new segment on the show. We have questions from fans asking, you know, just generally how we live our lives. You know, when you're a... When you're an influencer like this, people want to know, hey, what's your secret to life? And we're more than happy to answer them. And uh, I believe Brooke has some questions lined up in the in the hopper for uh, for me. I don't know any of these questions yet. But these are all going to be spitballing here. So all of these questions came from our Facebook page. So if you guys have any more questions or have any comments... Feel free to look up Podcastration on Facebook, like it, and give us some comments, some reviews, just some general feedback. But it better be good. <laughs> so the first question I have here is from an Ivan Stroganoff. Ah. And Ivan says, greetings, Conrads. I love eating meat. The rarer, the better. But 
Not only do I need to lose some weight, I'm quite the animal lover and have been feeling guilty about the death of animals on my hands every time I make a meal. The problem is that I fucking hate salads. Do you have any good vegetable-based recipes in America for a Russian carnivore such as myself? Oh, Russian. Paul? Of course not. Who wants a vegetable? Vegetables, vegetables are vile. Nobody needs them. Animals die all the time. Look at how many deer you see dead on the side of the road. There's always dead animals. There's no difference between one that gets wasted by the front of a Ford Explorer and one that gets, like, butchered in a, in a slaughterhouse. Meat is meat. It's always going to be dying. You know, you have to kill a plant to eat that, too. It's just not as smart. All right. So that's, uh, yeah, that's what I've got for you, Ivan. No. The answer is no. You just got to nut up. Of course, like... Of course, something died. But you know what? Something dies every day. So question number two that I have here is from a Herb Alburner. Alburner? Sorry, Herb. Herb says, great show, guys. You two are by far the best podcasters of them all, and I need some advice. My wife and I have been happily married metalheads for 13 years. We quite enjoy bands like Sabbath, Metallica, Pantera, etc., but for the last few years, she's been increasingly enjoying much heavier death metal bands like Cannibal Corpse and Dying Fetus. She constantly out-headbangs me at concerts. I can't get into those extreme types of bands, and maybe I'm just getting too old for her. I'm afraid she's going to run off with a suffocation roadie before too long. What should I do? So, Herb, you're afraid that she'll trade you in for a, a newer model? I don't know, man. If she can't stay with the classics, you know, you're in a rough spot. You're in a rough spot. I don't know your old lady, but if she is an old lady and she's not in the same music as you, maybe uh, maybe it's time for you both to upgrade. Maybe she wants a guy who will, uh, you know, go to go to shows with her. And maybe it's time that you, uh, maybe it's time you upgrade too, you know? There's, uh, everything ends. Maybe it's just time to uh, cut your losses and move on. Also, hey, Herb, thank you for the kind words, Herb. All right. You done? I'm done now. All right. Number three is from a Dave Kenmore. Kenmore. And Dave says, podcastration for life. Ah. I'm new at Call of Duty, and all of my friends have been playing for years without me. I can't walk five feet before I'm shot and killed. I want to play and talk online with my friends, but I just can't get the hang of this game. Any advice? What was his name again? His name's Dave Kenmore. Dave, Dave, that's right. Well, Dave. Call of Duty is a uh, it's a skill you got to learn, and there's no way to, like, everyone's already better than you. It's a tough, like, it's a tough thing. I took time off of Call of Duties between like being a little kid and being an adult. Now that I've returned to Call of Duty as an adult, uh, I've lost a lot of Call of Duty skills. And it, there just is no... You're just going to die a, a ton. You're just going to keep dying. Kids are going to keep shooting you. They're going to keep calling you the N-word. It's just all... That's, that's part of it. That's just... That is... That is gamers. They are the most, gamers are the, like, the kids who talk online. I hear so many bad words from those kids. It's insane. These kids are, like, 13 years old. 
And they call everybody the N-word. You're like, why do you do what? What makes that okay? What makes that okay over a game? Like, you can't do that anywhere else. Just kind of like, where where are your parents, kid? Sounds to me like in jail. That's Call of Duty, bitch. It, it, yeah, Un- unfortunately, Dave, go through some of the campaign modes. Maybe that'll help you. But really, you know what? You know what will help you? Here's what I'm going to tell you. Watch your kill cams and spectate games after you die, because you'll see what the good like. You'll see what the guy who's clearly better than you because he killed you. You'll see how he goes about things. That's my that's that's the best advice I would give you. Besides, just it is what it is. All right, it is what it is, Dave. Next Sorry, question Dave. is from a Ricky Gal. Ricky Gal. Yeah, G A L L. Gal. Sure, let's go with that. Anyway, Ricky says you two guys are awesome. I wish I could be awesome too, but I'm a loser who has nothing left to live for, and he's a loser that uh, he spelled loser wrong. Yeah. So. Uh, he yeah, says, oh, right. here we go. He says, I want to kill myself, but I don't want to feel any pain. Got any advice? Oh, Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. Well, I hope you don't kill yourself because we only have like seven listeners and I'd hate to see it go down to six. But if you must, and it must be painless, what I would do, rent a convertible and tie wire around your neck and tie the other end around a telephone pole and drive as fast as you can. And that way it'll, like, chop your head off real fast. And you'll have it, like, done in a convertible. So it'd be kind of cool. All right. So the next question's from a girl, so hopefully it's not as uh, dark. Yeah, that was a dark one. That was, Ricky? That was a dark one, Ricky. Don't put us in that place, man. I want to make jokes about it, but, hey, don't, uh, don't do that, Ricky. So this one is from Elizabeth Quentin, and Elizabeth says, every pair of my husband's underwear has brown stripes in them. Every single pair. I buy him bags of new ones every other week, but they're all stained before their first trip into the washing machine. I can't afford to keep replacing them. What should I do? This is from Elizabeth about her husband? Yes. Okay. So what should she do about her husband's uh, poop stains? Hmm. Well, Elizabeth, you signed up to wash your husband's underwear for the rest of your life. So uh, I got nothing for you. I got nothing for you. Keep it up. That's part of the deal, bro. Your husband's out busting his balls, trying to make that dollar so you can uh, afford the bleach to bleach his underwear. Get your hair did. I don't know how easy she can find bleach right now with this whole quarantine stuff, though. Oh, well. Hey, have your husband, uh, if your husband's at home, if your husband's at home, what you should do is just not make him, not let him wear any clothes. Which reminds me, I have a, a side story. We had, like, a really bad tornado. Well, not a really bad. I'm sorry. It wasn't a really bad tornado. It was just a tornado. It wasn't a really bad one, because there are really bad ones. This wasn't a really bad one. But, like, nonetheless, a tornado, when you're not prepared for a tornado, you know, a regular tornado is still as bad. It blew our back awning off, and I called the I called the landlord and told him that, hey, our awning blew off. It's no big deal, but, you know, our awning's messed up. And they were going to come send, send somebody. So... 
that was like a couple days ago. And then I went to work that evening and then I came home and went to bed. And when I woke up, Brooke had had already left for work and I woke up and I just, I grabbed my clothes from the bedroom and I was just going to get dressed in the kitchen. I sleep naked. I was just going to get dressed in the kitchen area. Just, I don't know. I'm walking around like look out the window and put clothes on. I didn't think anything of it. I'm in my house. I don't need to explain why I like walking around naked. There's nobody home. I can do this. And I hear like a, a crack, like a rattling. And I assumed it was a cat in the, in the uh, litter box. And then I see a ladder coming up against the, the window. And I realized, Oh, that's the repairman coming to take like the rest of the awning down. And so I had to hurry up and get dressed before he like climbed up the ladder. I well, he didn't see me naked, but I didn't expect that. I didn't expect it. That's my boring story. Yeah, our awning flew off of our back, over our apartment, and up into a neighbor's yard. Yeah, it went far. So the next question, um, pretty funny here. It's Charlie Quentin. So the last one was Elizabeth Quentin. So I'm thinking this is husband. Charlie says, what's up? Can't get enough of the show. Unfortunately, the same can't be said of my wife's cooking. It keeps getting worse as we get older. I work six days a week till 7 p.m. And she insists on having dinner ready for me when I get home, no matter how much I protest that I'll cook after work. Seriously. The food is just awful and the stains in my underbritches is the proof. Help me. Well, it's nice to have a, a, a couple... The couple who listen to the podcastration together stay together. It's a fact. They've done studies. Well, this changes everything. So, what was it? Elizabeth? Elizabeth, And yeah. what's her husband? Charlie? Elizabeth and Charlie. All right. So, Elizabeth is a bad cook, and her husband poop stains his underwear. So... What did I tell her? Just nut up and keep washing them, right? Yeah. So my advice to her now is like, hey, look, why don't you, uh, why don't you get some Domino's? You know, everyone's happy with Domino's. It's a reasonably priced pizza. Never made. Nobody's ever started a fight because of Domino's pizza. But wasn't there that old um, domestic abuse commercial? Like her crying at the bottom of the steps. Oh yeah! And the guy comes home and says, "Dinner ready." Dinner isn't ready pizza. isn't pizza. That's true. That's true. Way to go, Paul. Yeah. Well, then, I don't know. Chinese takeout. I guess. I guess that's the <laughs> answer. I don't know. That's a tough one. You guys are in a quandary. You guys. Uh, that's something I can't solve. You gotta be. You gotta be tender with it. You gotta be tender with. It. You can't go around telling your your wife you've had for a long time. Not to, uh, that, like, all of a sudden your cooking sucks. Although she did say it's been getting worse over the years. Yeah. Well, we'll just leave that one. The next one, uh, speaking of Chinese takeout, I don't know how you did that. Um, it's from somebody named Makoto Tetsuwa. And, well, <laughs> I'm going to read it exactly how Makoto said it here. He says, Hero. Get it? Podcastration uh, podcast number one. 
My family has saved up enough money to finally build the amusement park of our dreams right along the beach of Oshima Island. And guess what? It's going to be a giant squid themed. Oh, nice. Nice. We're going to call it Super Fun Time Giant Squid Place. My question is, will you guys place an advertisement for it on your show? Great. Many thank yous. His name's Makoto. Absolutely. We'll, We'll cut a plug for it. 100%. Giant squids are an endangered species that they didn't even know they existed 20 years ago, which makes you believe Bigfoots could totally be out there. Just think, giant squids are an amazing animal that, hey, those were a myth. Up until up until not that long ago, a giant squid was the Bigfoot of the ocean. All right. So the next one here is from Sheena Jameson. Sheena says, what does a girl have to do or say to get proposed to? <laughs> Well, Sheena, let me just start with, um, not call it proposed. Proposed? Like, proposed. Is that what, what's proposed? I don't know. We should open dictionary it. So she says, me and my boyfriend, Sean, have been dating for seven years, and all of my friends have been married way before me. I love him to death, but if I'm ever going to cut my losses and start over, it's got to be now before I'm too old. Got any ideas? Well, Sheena, Sheena and Sean, you sound like a trash couple. There's nothing good that can come from you. It's like, what, you want to be, Sheena, cut your losses. Sean, cut your losses. You're both going to end up banging each other anyhow because you're gonna get, both going to get trashed somewhere at some divey, towny bar where you're going to forget you guys were ever dating and you're going to take each other home someday. You guys just sound like backwoods water trash. And no, there's no hope for you. There you go. Enjoy your opiates. All right. Well, thanks. How was for that? That, that was a rough one. That was mean. <laughs> so next is Mark Stoneheap. Mark says, "Love the show. I live in a neighborhood surrounded by junkies. Those. Hey. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say it, but he <laughs> says those. Sheena's a neighbor. Those um, c words don't have jobs, and all they do is steal stuff to sell for their habits, so they can lay around all day till they need to steal again." The police do nothing about it since they can't find penniless junkies and the jails would be overfilled if they just arrested them. I love my house and I want to live here, but it's just a matter of time before I get robbed again and the home security systems don't actually prevent burglaries. If you guys know of a better way to protect my house and family, I'd love to hear it. So, Paul, how would you protect the house? Well, get rid of everything Sheena and Sean are interested in. Protect your house from junkies. Here's my advice. This is my advice for any kind of home protection. I don't know how you go about getting these, but there's a lot of great YouTube videos with uh, people hiding airbags underneath things. Put, like, a big bowl of Chex Mix somewhere in the yard and then bury an airbag, but not bury, just cover it with, like, grass or something. So when the, the neighbor, when, when your junkie neighbors come to steal your Chex Mix, they'll set off the airbag and it'll blow up like the big bowl of Chex Mix in their face. Make sure it's the bold Chex Mix too. Yeah. No, they'll like that. All right. So that's it for fan questions for this episode. It's now Levon's turn to uh, ruin your brains right after this quick commercial break. So let's cut it to a commercial. Commercial time. Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, Karate Kid, 
What do they all have in common? If you guess nunchucks and throwing stars, then you are correct. Hi, I'm Thaddeus Gerard, and I don't care how badass you think you are. You ain't shit until you buy a pair of my top quality nunchucks and a shoebox full of my homemade throwing stars. Yeah. Bullies at school taking your lunch money? Nunchucks. Better looking guy taking passes at your old lady? Nunchucks. You want to wear that stranger's hat? Nunchucks. Raccoons won't stay out of the garage? Throw wing stars. My nunchucks are 1995, and that's the same price for a box of my throwing stars. But if you go onto the Podcastration Facebook page right now and order one of each item, then I'll throw on a life sized John Claude Van Damme door poster for what? No extra charge. Woo-wee. That's a limited time offer. So log on now and order Japan's best shit made right here in America. Because if you don't, you're just kung foolish. Hello. We are at Super Fun Time Giant Squid Place, number one amusement park in all the world. <laughs> yeah, it's seriously huge. Right our penises. <laughs> For only $25.95, you come and ride our great rides, such as the Dark Descent, <laughs> Beyond the Tentacle Twirl, <laughs> or the number one roller coaster, the Cuttlefish Missile. It's really fast. <laughs> also, we have a great fountain and the number one buffet in the world. It's not the weak the Chinese pathetic buffet. <laughs> no, no, no. It buffet from Great Empire of Japan! <laughs> Super Funtime Giant Squid Press. All other press is a disgrace. Welcome back to another episode of Hog Castration. Oh, my back. Uh, I was trying to sound like an old man, but <clears throat> I suck at that. Uh, yeah, it's Podcastration Nation again, and I am sitting by myself around my fire pit out of my yard because it is coronavirus bullshit that is continuing to fuck up our lives and keep us homebound. At least I'm sitting outside. It's... You know, better than the four walls constantly closing in on me. But uh, sitting here, chilling out, enjoying the first few nice spring days without fucking rain dumping it on us. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. And for my half of the show, I am going to read you a ghost story. Let me rephrase that. I'm going to read you a spooky story. So, forewarn, 
It's pretty bone chilling. I'm going to get right at it because I have no idea how long this is going to take. The name of the story is called The Shitter Monster of Shadyside Village. And it starts off like this. The morning of August 20th, 1970, was a beautiful late summer day in the small town of Shadyside Village. As western Pennsylvania weather can sometimes be erratic at best, the recent weeks have been seasonably warm. And without much rain lately, the leaves began an early start on their changing to fall colors, making for that picturesque blend of greens and yellows, orange and browns, that lured even the most unsociable types of people outside to enjoy the sights and sounds of summer. But Tanya Tarr wasn't like most other people. Being a young man cursed with a girl's name made for a tough childhood right from the first moment of his birth at 2.14 p.m. March 19, 1950. Why the odd choice of name, you might ask? Well, you got to go back in time a few years. Tanya's father, Devin Tarr, was a distinguished war hero on the European front of World War II. Sent straight into battle right after his graduation from Rust Point, Devin swiftly rose through the ranks to be in charge of his own squadron of the 193rd Glider Division, where he quickly earned the reputation for leading from the front and dodging the bullets alongside his men. The latter he did successfully until the full-scale Nazi assault in the Ardennes Forest in late 1944, when a German panzer shell hit a tree mere feet from him and sent a piece of pine shrapnel into his skull just behind his left ear, thus ending his time on the front and a ticket back to the States. Those goddamn Nazis. Over the next five years of Devin's life, was a new personal type of battle of overcoming brain damage and career derailment. After six years of struggle, it finally dawned on him that since his own mental capacity just couldn't be relied on for the rigors of military leadership, perhaps a son of his could be raised to pick up where he now was forced to leave off. So in 1949, long after the post-war baby boom, Devintar finally had the time to spend at home with his wife Susie, and more importantly, Spend time with her vagina. Not taking any chances, they made up for the lost time and vigorously humped the days away until all the signs of pregnancy finally revealed themselves and seven months later, Tanya Tar was prematurely born. As soon as the baby was out, it was obvious that something was wrong. Pale and much smaller than expected, with a tiny, almost non-existent penis. So small that, at first, they all thought it was a baby girl and named it Tanya. But the tiny dick was pointed out by the doctor, and Devin was so ashamed that he insisted on keeping the name of his son as Tanya. Thinking that the girly name would be more motivation for his son to prove himself in the military, and not the one to argue her husband, Susie agreed with him, as she often did, whether she wanted to or not. Now, ever since then... Tanya's life was one of hardship, hate, and loneliness. As his father's mental and overall health slowly deteriorated, more and more pressure was put on Tanya to be the son Devin wanted him to be. While other children his age played outside and chased girls, Tanya was doing chores, drills, or studying. And the older he got, the more feminine his appearance became. Yet his schlong stayed the same puny size. All the while, his father was determined to discipline the womanness out of his son. Tanya hated the constant training, but having no siblings or friends to confide in, 
and an increasingly alcoholic mother who hid in her room from all of her life's problems left Tanya alone in his personal battles. So he just always did as his father ordered until Devin's wound finally caught up to him and his stroke left him comatose until he finally died four months later in 1968. Ironically, just months before Tanya received his draft letter for basic training for the Vietnam War. But the four months of peaceful home life after Devin's death was the only bit of enjoyment that Tanya ever had. And although very shy and sheltered from even his closest neighbors, his newfound freedom and overall peaceful mood led him to venture outside and take in his surroundings in a new way. He even met and talked to some of the local girls, if a bit awkwardly. And for the first time in his 18 years of life, he began to feel like maybe he could be a normal type of person in a normal type of life. And as soon as that draft card came in the mail, he knew that he had to get out of it at all costs. Within seconds of reading it, he had a plan. He took one of his mother's dresses and wore it to the recruiting center in full makeup. At first, the recruiter thought he was looking at a pretty girl and began flirting with Tanya. But his flirty attitude quickly turned to anger once he read the draft letter and saw Tanya's birth certificate. Dressing like a girl won't get you out of your civic duties, the recruiter boomed. But I am a girl, Tanya protested, and pulled up the dress to show him the mostly blank area that was his crotch. The recruiter just stared and stared. And just in case his super small dong wasn't enough to prove to the recruiter of his lack of manliness... Tanya bent over and crapped all over the floor. Oops, my tampon must have fallen out on the way over, he said, hoping this display would be enough to keep him stateside. And it was. Get the fuck out of my office and into a straitjacket. Now! The recruiter screamed. And just like that, Tanya was a draft dodger, which kept him home from war, but also damaged his reputation since news and rumors quickly spread throughout the small town of Shadyside Village. Since all the other boys his age were either at war or training for it, he had no competition for talking to the girls of the town. But even then, it was still a challenge because of not only his reputation for his fascinatingly small prick and shitting on the floor scandal, but also because the elders of the town viewed him as a traitor. Yet the younger hippie generation mostly saw him as the son of a local military legend. Over the course of a few months, though, he finally convinced the girls of his hatred for all things military, and succeeded in finding a group of friends to hang out with for the rest of that summer. And all was well in his life, and he was finally happy. But that was all about to change when Nathan Jones came home from his tour from Vietnam. Nathan's home! Nathan's home! screamed Kelly as she came running up to the group of girls Tanya was hanging out with, her excitement clearly rubbing off on all the other girls as they swarmed together and hugged and cried with joy. Most of the boys in town were roughly the same age, and instead of waiting for their draft notices, they all went and volunteered for their service to get better positions. Nathan's arrival was not only celebratory for Kayla, but all the other girls were now anticipating their boyfriends to be home sooner than later. Tanya didn't know any of these men at war due to his isolation, but was happy for Kayla and her friends, at least at first. But very soon after Nathan's arrival, things started to get weird quickly. As soon as they were introduced, Tanya noticed that Nathan had that same blank stare that he often saw in his father. The look that one only gets from extended time in combat. Nathan also made it clearly known that he didn't like the fact that Tanya was over here keeping his and the other guy's girlfriend's company while they were off fighting for his freedom. 
The fact that Tanya's unusably paltry pecker was useless for satisfying women was lost to Nathan. To him, it was a matter of principle. Another thing that Tanya noticed as the summer wore on was that as the other girls were still waiting for their soldier boyfriends to return home, he often caught Nathan alone with the other girls or saw him sneaking out of the back of girls' houses just before he'd meet up with Kayla. It was rather obvious to Tanya that Nathan was putting his manhood into as many of the girls as he could before any of the other guys got home. Though he was now quite friendly with these girls, Tanya didn't see it as his place to say anything about it, so he didn't. A decision that would come back to haunt him. And the entire town. That November, Becky's boyfriend, Brett Barnhart, survived his tour to be the second guy to return home. The following four months saw four others return alive to Shadyside Village. As could be expected, they were all very happy to be reunited. What wasn't expected, by the men returning home at least, was the swollen bellies of their girlfriends. It was obvious to them that while they were over there dodging bullets, the girls weren't dodging cocks over here. Being that Nathan was home about seven months before the second guy Brett was, it should have seemed an obvious situation to the other vets. But Nathan had a plan to put the blame on Tanya. Excuse me. There we go. Using the draft dodging rumors and the fact that Tanya never left the town made for an easy decoy. And the girls, none of which wanted to lose their finally returned home boyfriends or admit to sleeping with their friend's lover, all agreed to the finger point. Fresh as the vets were from combat, not much provocation was needed to get them riled up and united for confrontation. So on the beautiful summer morning of August 20th, 1970, four vets and four of their girlfriends were waiting for Tanya. Tanya was sitting on his back porch relaxing, yet deep in thought. He understood his friends needs to be with their boyfriends and have time to themselves, but it was also apparent that a time of his life was over. A few friends he had in this town were going to be mothers soon, and their focuses would be on being mothers and housewives. He was brainstorming ideas about how he was going to leave town, where he was going to go, and what he was going to do when he heard his name being called from the front street. So he stood up and walked around the front of the house where Kayla and Becky were standing there, smiling and waving to him. Morning, Tanya, they both said in unison. Us and the guys are all going down to the creek for a picnic, and you should come and join us. Really? Do the guys want me along too? asked Tanya. Becky replied, Of course! It was Nathan's idea. Come on and let's go before it gets too hot for the food. And just like that, they were off. They all met up a few streets over and piled into a pickup truck and headed towards the creek. There were a couple of known hangout spots along the creek, but the truck didn't stop at any of those, and Tanya was long deep into his own thoughts about what a delightful surprise this all seemed when he noticed that they were passing the good picnic spots. Uh, so, uh... How far are we going, he asked. How's about you don't fucking worry about it, Nathan curtly replied from the driver's seat through the open window. Tanya looked at the others sitting in a truck bed with him. Most of them just looked down nonchalantly at their feet. Kayla said, Ah, don't mind him. He's always cranky in the morning. Just then the truck came to a stop and Tanya climbed out of the truck along with the others. He was taking in the view thinking to himself about how this place wasn't nearly as nice-looking of a spot as the other places they passed up to get here. 
There was a slight sulfuric smell in the air as well, and he noticed a freshly dug up pile of dirt and shovels a few feet away. Tanya walked over to inspect it and quickly realized that he was looking at the excavation of a large septic tank, obviously used by the town they lived in. He stared for maybe a few seconds before he turned around. He was going to ask, Is this the best spot for a picnic? But he stopped mid-sentence when he saw that they were all standing in a line, coldly staring at him. We were all shot at, rained on, bit up, and our friends were dying left and right, and all this time you were living a good life here at home and knocking up our old ladies, Nathan told matter-of-factly to Tanya. Too stunned and confused to reply, he just stared in shock as the others began to chime in. The few letters we got over there from Becky were the only things keeping me going, and then I come home to find out you were tricking her into fucking you and raping the other girls in their sleep, shouted Brett. And before Tonya could reply, Becky shouted, Yeah, asshole! You were drugging us and sticking your stunted little member in us when we were camping. What? We never ever camped once, Tonya retaliated. But the accusations and abuse came at him too fast to get any more words out of his mouth. They were all shouting at the same time and pointing their fingers at him. It was obvious that Nathan staged this whole operation and even an entire childhood spent doing military drills could not prepare Tanya for this type of assault. He knew he had to retreat and come up with some kind of strategy. He turned around to run, but the guys tackled him and drove him to the ground before he could took one step away. I never touched you girls, and my pint-sized shaft could never get a girl pregnant, and you all know it. Nathan, it was Nick. And that's when Nathan came from behind to shove the cloth around Tonya's mouth and tie it off behind his head so he couldn't speak. Then his arms were pulled behind his back and his hands were tied together as well. The septic tank lid was already off by the time Tonya was marched over to it. If our brothers can live in a pig shit over in the commie POW camps and name, then you can live in shit too, you traitor. And as Tonya struggled for his life to get loose, or at least plead his case, frontline justice won out, and Tonya was shoved headfirst into the tank, and Tonya Tar was never seen again. Roughly five months of searching never found any trace of Tonya Tar. Distracted by the war and also the fact that Tonya was obviously so different from other boys his age, the search party never used the effort or tools for the job that it should have been given. Having few friends and only a self-crippled alcoholic mother mourning his loss, the townsfolk quickly moved on with their lives and any memory of Tanya Tar faded with time, along with any guilt that the guys and the girls who buried him alive may have felt. As of summer 1973, the small town of Shadyside Village had simply forgotten about Tanya. And that's what made Susie Schreckengoss' night so strange that July. Being one of the girlfriends of the vets that had put Tanya in the septic tank, she never expected to hear Tanya Tar's name again. Quickly married in the summer of 1970 and just as quickly divorced the following summer, Susie was left with a child to raise by herself and with an ex-husband who knew the child wasn't his. So he only did the minimum amount of fathering required by law every few weekends. So she was alone in the kitchen when she heard the loud, high-pitched scream that came from the upstairs bathroom. She abruptly dropped her cooking tools and ran up the steps as fast as she could, and she opened the bathroom door to see her three-year-old son lying on the ground in a pool of blood, crying loudly, holding his crotch. Oh my God, Ross, what happened? She asked as she picked him up and carried him to the car. He took it. He took it. He took my pee-pee. 
as Holly would say in shock on the way to the ER. Once there, the medics took him for evaluation and medical procedures before Susie could inquire any further. She was nervously waiting in the waiting room when two police officers came in to question her. She answered their questions as truthfully as she could until she was asked, Mrs. Streckengost, who was Tanya Tarr to you? The startled look she gave the cops had each of them returning a suspicious scowl back at her. What? Who? Uh, nobody. Just a kid from down the road that disappeared a few years ago and was never found. Why? Fucking burps. Uh, because your son is claiming that the toilet started talking to him as he was peeing and that it said something along the lines of, I, Tonya Tar, is a virgin and so shall be your only son. The kid also claims that a skinny arm came out of the toilet and grabbed the hold of his phallus and yanked it off. <laughs> he laughed. Enough, Todd, said the other officer. Sorry, ma'am, but you understand why we can't believe a story like that. For now, I need you and Mr. Streckengoss to come down to the station for further questions. Shortly after that, a quiet hush came over the town, and even though no official report of the previous night's events were issued to the townsfolk, as usual, gossip spread quicker than fact, and Mr. and Mrs. Streckengost sat in jail being the number one suspects. The word in town was of domestic violence and a child getting his dick cut off. But the name Tanya Tarr was briefly mentioned in the rumor mill, and that had some of the girls and vets worried. They called each other and set up a meeting to discuss what that could possibly mean, but it was quickly brushed aside as nothing to bother with. As usual, Nathan took charge of the situation and demanded that they never speak of the name Tanya Tarr again and to go home and forget about it. The others didn't need much persuasion and went home to ignore the odd rumor until it happened two nights later. Nathan was lounging on his couch watching a Beverly Hillbillies rerun when he heard shouting from across the street followed by ambulance and police sirens. By the time he stepped off his porch and onto the sidewalk, a stretcher was already being taken from the neighbor's house and hoisted up into the ambulance. Becky Barnhart was on her knees wailing uncontrollably, and Brett Barnhart looked to be pleading a case to three cops. Nathan walked over to comfort Becky, but just then two of the cops came over to help her stand up and walk her into the back of a police car. It's all our fault. It's all our fault. <laughs> is all Nathan could hear her repeatedly moan as she was walked away. Then Brett was handcuffed and escorted into the back of the same car, and the door closed shut. Just before the car drove off, Brett looked over at Nathan and mouthed a few words, and although Nathan couldn't hear him as he was in the back of the car, he could read his lips clear as a bell. Tanya Tar. It's a hoax, Nathan told Kayla. A sick goddamn hoax, and I'm going to find the bastard that did this and cut his dick off myself and choke him to death with it. This is no hoax, Nathan, she pleaded. Either somebody knows what we did, or, or, Tanya's still. Don't even say it, Kayla. But what if he made it out of the tank and is still alive? Or somehow lived in the sewers and got out? Impossible. I checked weeks after we buried him. The dirt on top was just as we left it, and the pipes going into and out of the septic tank are too small for a person to crawl through. He was tied up in a tank, Kayla. He died. He deserved to die, and his bones are still in that tank. But that's twice his name came up this week, and twice somebody snuck into their houses and into the bathroom, and they never even noticed. We gotta get out of... No way. This is my home, and if Charlie couldn't take me away from it, then no sick bastard around here is going to run me out either. 
The Schreckengast and Barnharts are both victims and in jail. We didn't do this. That leaves only two other people who could know about Tanya. Sean and Stacy were the last remaining couple that was part of Tanya's burial party. So Nathan grabbed his combat knife out of his house and speed walked to their house and pounded on the front door. As expected, them and their three children were huddled in the living room keeping a watchful eye on things. Nathan had, Nathan had Sean and himself meet in private in the garage where Nathan threw accusations at Sean over the recent incidents. Sean eventually pleaded his case that he was at home each time and presented enough evidence that Nathan had to admit it couldn't have been him or his girlfriend. With nothing else to do, they decided to stay together for the time being and have an adult sit just outside of the bathroom door any time it was used. Since two out of the three kids were potty trained and only one of them was a boy of four years of age, that was the kid they kept the most vigil on. Later that night, the kid took a piss with both Sean and Nathan outside the door, keeping an ear on things. The kid pissed and came back out with no problems. And they kept up the routine for the next two days with no further issues. Till the afternoon of the third day, they were all discussing the situation and decided that either the attacker must have left town or that maybe the other parents really were crazy. It was well after dinner that Nathan and Kayla were walking out of Sean and Stacy's house when the third scream that week occurred in their bathroom. They all ran inside to see their son lying down and holding his crotch blood oozing out between his fingers, a trail of shit and brown water leading to the toilet. It was well after dinner that Nathan and Kayla were walking out of Sean and Stacy's house when the third scream that week occurred in their bathroom. They all ran inside to see their son laying down and holding his crotch, with blood oozing out between his fingers and a trail of shit and brown water leading to the toilet. And standing halfway out of the toilet was a rotting, pus-covered mess of a corpse with three young child scrotums attached single file style on top of his almost unseeable rod. The decaying remnants of Tanya Tar then impossibly pulled himself out of the much too small drain of the toilet and said, You all killed a virgin for raping your girlfriends. And with your own son's penises, you're all fucked. And he lunged out of the bathroom. The end. That's how you fucking end the story. God, that was bad. Well, that was me entertaining you by myself, and uh, yeah, so that's the end of this podcast, and hopefully we can get back together and do what we always do. Until then, stay home, stay safe, stay drunk. I want hockey. Well, this is just my luck. Coronavirus really does fucking suck. Who has liquor? Who has some paper towels? I'm out of TP and need to move my bowels. Rum dum dum da dum. Quarantine results and just writing songs. Podcastration hoats are two fucking dongs. Stolen memes all over social media. Traveling cancellations from Expedia. Rum dum dum da dum. How will I pay rent? Guess it's time to strip. Prepping up for the zombie apocalypse. Bum, 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 da-dum. Dum, 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 da-dum. That's all I got.
share our podcast link. Thank you.